and action! Hello and welcome to episode 228 of, of the, the Filmmakers, Filmmakers Podcast. Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie films to studio films and everything in between how to get them made how to make them and how to try not to royally f them up in a very very humble opinion i am giles alderson and i am dom lenoir and together we are (laughs) (laughs) married (laughs) (laughs) the best host on the damn planet (laughs) that's the one Uh, we we are both producer directors and writers a couple of idiots (laughs) and then a couple of idiots to go with that too um and today on the show we have the fantastic Nathaniel Martello White. Straight to go. Who is the director of <laughs> The Strays, uh, the new Netflix. Well, it was number one. Sorry, I was, I was, going, I was going straight to the point. <laughs> You've strayed off the path a bit here. It's oh my God. Here. People, people are going to be turning off in droves. I'm so sorry. Nathaniel was not only a fantastic guy, and he gave up so much of his time to talk to myself and Dom, but... He's also a well-known actor as well, uh, starring in movies like Silent Night, Dead Meat, The Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants, Red Tails, Hard Boiled Sweets, Life Just Is. He's been in the TV series Trial and Retribution, Party Animals, Mongrels, Misfits, Death in Paradise, uh, Horrible Histories, and he was in Steve McQueen's Small Axe series Mangrove. And this is his directorial debut. Hmm. He made the short film Clam, which did incredibly well. What do we talk about on the episode? with Nathaniel, Dom, or Nate, or Nat. We we talk about the pros and cons of collaborating with funding bodies, creating a Netflix film, rehearsing for key sequences. We also talk about um, what it's like to go from being an actor to a director, uh, screenwriting insecurities and structure, and making a psych horror. How bloody does it go? We also talk about set building for big scenes and sequences, having a controversial black female protagonist, and why you should know what movie you are making. And also why his shot lists come from his writing, his references, why he shut down set for a day to rehearse the family reunion scene, and he did it in an 18-minute one-shot take. He also tells us what he's learnt moving forward to making his next film. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Nathaniel was incredible. The Strays is a brilliant film. Really thought-provoking. Really gets it underneath your skin. And uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he smashed it. He certainly did. What news, Lenoir of the Dom? Have you, um, you've got some stuff to tell us about the Shakespeare Sisters' latest feature film, Much Ado, which I was at the premiere for the other night, yes. along with yourself. You were on hosting yeah. duties and did a very good job. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, got a good, uh, good laugh out of, um, without much further ado as well. <laughs> you got a great <laughs> laugh out of that pun. <laughs> I mean, maybe we should just t- change your name by Depole to Pun Lemoir. You could, yeah. yeah. Might be, uh, might be a sensible move. Yeah, no, it was, it was, a, it was a great event. Nice to be back at the uh, Prince Charles at Leicester Square. Lots of, uh, lots of familiar film pals there. Some traditional Shakespeare sister curation of uh, a nice, nice after party with Shakespeare branded cakes, which always goes down well. Always go down well. And is there going to be a tour, Dom? Tell us about the tour, more importantly. Where, pe- where can people see it? They, they can. Uh, so there's a couple in London coming up. There is one in Croydon on Wednesday. Uh, there's also... Croydon Cinema Wednesday. Yeah. Great. There's also one, um, the David Leiden Cinema. There's also one in um, Crouch End coming up in April and there is one at 
Woodbridge, the Riverside, uh, coming up as well in March and April. Great, great. Links to that should be in the show notes, but if not, you can find it on the Shakespeare Sisters website. Yep, they won't be keeping it quiet, that's for sure. That's for sure. Definitely. Yeah, it should be following them on socials anyway. They're fantastic mm. um, people, but also great filmmakers. Uh, also, myself and Dom are doing a live event coming up. It's not a Make Your Film. We might do one of those soon. Tell us more about it, Dom. Well, I had written it down as Triple Threat, but it's actually Triple Exposure. Uh, so <laughs> you're a triple threat. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> so it's basically uh, it is a, the launch of a new company. So Gareth uh, from Performance Insurance is one of the companies, and they've banded together with a couple of other companies to give you all the different things you might need to go into production on making a film, rather than having to go to different areas. So it's. Performance Insurance is one of the companies and they've banded together with uh, the Accountancy Practice, Alliots, and the Specialist Media Law Firm, Reviewed and Cleared, who we used on Three Day Millionaire. And they've created this brand new product, as Dom said, Triple Exposure. And the aim is pretty simple, right? I mean, they want to free up creators to create. So by joining forces themselves, um, and that's and all those things are essential for behind the scenes of every film or series you're making. It's insurance, it's accountancy, and it's legal scene needs. So it's a one-stop shop called Triple Exposure. Pete from Greenlit got in touch, didn't he, Dom? He certainly did, yeah. Uh, and he said, you know who we'd like for our panel mm. for an hour? Mm. At 3 p.m., just before a comfort break, which should be very comforting. Uh, me and Josh. So yeah. there we are. There we are. So the date is the 22nd of March. Um, from 12 o'clock till 6 p.m. in London. Uh, it's in Hoxton, the Aviva in Hoxton, uh, Hoxton Square. And we'll be there at three. Yeah, I might be there before, but Don might not be. So it's a networking event. Uh, there's also a Q&A <laughs> with Farah Abushwesha, um, who is a BAFTA-nominated producer. There's going to be lunch where drinks and food will be provided. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, maybe yeah. I am coming early. There's <laughs> 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 lunch. Uh, but no, you know, this is a different proposition. <laughs> okay. Well, I like best from the list as well is the reply you put to Pete from Greenlit was oh there's a comfort break because there's a comfort break listed yeah. <laughs> on the actual agenda and Dom was like oh that sounds good I'll be there for that yeah <laughs> uh, yeah so that's going to be fun you'll get your priorities right link to that will be in the show notes um, 3 Day Millionaire if you've not seen it yet it's on Netflix now you have no excuses go watch it go support uh, Winter Ridge is on Amazon Prime it's on where else is it Dom people can watch your directorial feature Sky Store yep Rakuten, you know, other other places. All that. Stranger in Our Bed also is on there right now, um, mm. which I directed, uh, and I'd love you to go... Stranger Danger. ...watch that as well. Why not? That's a little plug for ourselves. Enough of that. Should we get to today's episode? Probably a good idea, yeah. Let's do it. All right, this is Nathaniel Martello-White chatting with myself. And me. Yay! All right. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you on Friday when we have Saim Sadiq from Joyland. And then on Tuesday, we've got Eddie Sternberg, the director and writer of I Used to Be Famous. There we go, Eddie. You finally got your yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Eddie. We recorded with him ages ago. We've just, we just, we just been smashed by PR deadlines. and uh... Yes, and awards season contenders, uh, including Florian Zeller, The Sun, which is also coming up soon. Um, right. Let's hear Nathaniel Martello White. Enjoy. No, you enjoy. I will. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Nathaniel, how are you feeling, man? You you all right? This is an exciting time for you. So it's 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 a mad moment, to be honest. It's like um, yeah. you know how it is. The, the journey you go on, um, especially when you're a writer director, 
you know, I think you sort of have a really prolonged period of time in your head with the movie, developing it in this sort of really private space. And, and, you know, and then going into production is a whole other thing where you're like, okay, how do we carry this across the line and achieve that whilst also accepting that it's going to change and become something else. Mm-hmm. But hopefully the essence of what it always was meant to be is still there. And, and then there's a whole other alchemy, right? When you then release it and it becomes something something else again it becomes other people's then it's weird they they put their own life on it and put it on their own websites and talk about it in their own way and it's it's a really odd feeling that you've harbored this baby for so long and then someone just goes i know what it's about it's about this and full essay on it and yeah. everyone's going yes it is <laughs> like, oh my god yeah completely i mean it's interesting also like i i knew it was a, a divisive film mm. but then i think i the i think what's been really a real education making this movie is that like, you know, it's like got a divisive, controversial protagonist, you know, who's a woman and a woman of color. And then it's like structurally mercurial in a way, you know, that's sort of got slightly different styles of storytelling. So I didn't actually, all of those things were really exciting, but then suddenly you realize, oh, wow, I'm going out with a movie <laughs> like that. And that's going to be divisive. And that's not, I'm not going out with a popcorn movie that everybody's going to necessarily like. And I think you, you kind of have to own that. Yeah, you know, because the artist in you wants to be loved by everybody. Please love me, but you know, really and truly, you have to hold that space. I think. Do Do you find that the the sort of the general review community have interpreted the way the film the way that you kind of thought they might, or you know, is that is that a thing you kind of experience with films, or or do you just sort of put it out there and think, okay, well, I've left enough ambiguity that people can make their own minds up on on certain things. I, I think with a movie like this, people, especially from the ending, I think. Some people want more and some people, like I was at a BFI screening on Monday and it's like, you know, NFT one packed out and it was just a raucous crowd and, and, and it's sort of the way it ends and it does end abruptly, sort of yeah. less people gasping and stuff. And I, yeah. I was like, oh <laughs> yeah. man, I really feel like that's how the movie should be played, you know, in a, in a mm. big old space. But, and I hope people still get that experience at home. But I think the things that I considered were like, oh, it has to be deeply personal and a genre piece. But then I think when I, when I've gotten deeper into the process, then I think there are other things you really, there are other things actually at play that you don't consider like, you know, like, like sort of, yeah, just like having a really divisive um, protagonist and what that brings out in some people. But I think it's, it's generating a really brilliant conversation. I didn't ex- anticipate as many Jordan Peele mm. references because in fact, my references were always Michael Hanukkah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. totally different filmmakers as well. Mm. And that's fascinating that people have gone down that road because it is very, uh, maybe it's easier to put in that box. You know, Jordan Peele's very well known. It's okay, that's the type of film. Great. We can tick that box and go, it's in that realm. Rather than you say, it's a Michael Haneke film. Everyone goes, I'm sorry, what? Your general audience don't know who he is. So, yeah. but for you, yeah. that's really interesting, isn't it? That you went down that route because Michael Haneke is mm. incredible. I love his filmmaking. Mm. I love oh, what he does with incredible. the camera and the people he works with. And I can see that now. Yeah. Now Deeply you've said original, it. Deeply original, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think your film's deeply original too, mm. you know? And sometimes oh, it's, it's easy to throw it off as, oh, it's like that. But th- I get why. And it's great because you get more eyeballs on it for you. Um, let's talk about films you've seen recently or films that inspired mm. you. Okay, how, so when you say recently, what kind of window are we, are we talking about now? I mean, look, we could go anything from three years old to now. <laughs> <laughs> Ins- inspirational sort yeah. of like okay what's I mean, all right let's start with when you were younger then what what made you want to oh, be great. an actor that's, 
Is that easier? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah okay, good. Yeah, maybe that's easier. <laughs> yeah. Because you know how it is, like, you see so many, I see movies all the time that it gets to a point where you can only really remember the movies you saw recently because you've been seeing them, like, every other week, you know? Yes, yeah. um, I think when I was younger, it was always, like, you know, I, Arnold Schwarzenegger was, like, this movie. Yeah, you know, it was, like, yeah, Total yeah, Recall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, wait. Terminator look, 1. In front, like, he's here. He's come here. On, front of me. Look, the on. book, Total Recall, right in front of me. <laughs> I, I had the, like, last action hero models growing up. Oh, you were the, yeah, the <laughs> lunchboxes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, oh, that film didn't really do as well, but actually, it's a brilliant yeah. film, Kids loved it. It's just Brilliant it film. didn't blow mm. up as yeah. much. But sorry, yeah, Brilliant we, film. But sorry, those but... <laughs> movies that felt like event. No, they felt really like strap in. Like here we go. This mm. is going to get very real, you know. And I think Arnie kind of was like this. When you think about it now, and then some people might say The Rock, you know, is a version of that. Yeah, but, I but I think I don't know. Like movies back then, I think they were like they could be about something really raw, but they're also these big blockbusters. Now I think there's been more of a separation. But then. Uh, you know, alongside that, movies like The Godfather was always a big um, formative movie. And the first time my auntie, who was a big cinephile, showed me Goodfellas, I think I was about 15. And I, and I yeah. just remember the, that opening scene when the boot opens up and it's lit red <laughs> and they just stab that dude and just being like, what am I watching? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they're yeah. just being blown away by the end. And then I remember watching Scream with my mum when I was like, Maybe I was about 17 uh, and we were blown away uh, by that. So, so yeah, so, so I think horror has always been there, but also like, I think when I got to drama school, then you started to get into more of the art house cinema. Yeah. And someone goes, do you know Michael Haneke? And then you sort of, oh, wow, who's this guy? And you do a deep dive and then you realize, oh, this, this filmmaker really speaks to me, you know? Mm. And was that a natural progression to go from liking watching these movies to going to drama school? Like, how, how did that link? You know, did, were your parents kind of involved? Were, was it just something you always knew? Let's let's explore the arts. Like, how did that kind of evolve for you? I think my family really, um, you know, we were always just obsessed with movies, and and the theatre was there, but it was never really a focus. Like, we didn't go to the theatre. Like, we went with school, but I'd never go with the family, and then when the idea to become an actor started coming into focus, I think at that point I was really obsessed with De Niro, early De Niro and um, Vincent Cassell. Okay. I was just obsessed yeah. with, and so Laen and Taxi yeah. Driver yeah. were like quite cultish movies for actors coming up. And so you wanted to be not a method, but you wanted to go to those extremes yeah. as, as a performer, you know, a these young as well. <sighs> Deer Hunter. Yeah. I mean, the, the the Russian relay scene, you know, just yes, yeah, yeah, that's one of the like, best. What? It really is. <laughs> but they're not even really realizing that Scorsese. Nobody's interested in Scorsese at that point because everybody's just thinking about the performances. Yeah, during that time, obviously, then you went to drama school and you've become a very successful actor. At any point during that time, were you thinking? Oh, I fancy directing. Because obviously you've done lots of theatre as well and maybe you've directed a bit of theatre. And you had directed, you know, Clam in 2017. But before that, you know, it'd be really interesting to know, did you have any, like, burning desire underneath to go, yeah, I, I could probably direct something. No, do you know what it was? I didn't even really think, I never saw myself as a director is, is the real answer to that question okay. throughout drama school. But what I definitely saw myself as was I knew I was a writer and I knew... And I was constantly like at RADA, I used to write in the off season. So whenever we weren't training, I was, mm. I was always writing and I, I was developing a few films, but they were really ambitious and 
it, when I think about it now, completely naive, what I was trying to like write some big sci-fi movie at 21, you know, yeah, but then yeah, I think yeah. when I, when I realized, I think that being an actor was just such a really difficult way to live and that you're waiting for the phone to ring and waiting for someone to give you an opportunity. I think I, then I sort of started taking writing more seriously. And, and then when I got my first play programmed at the young Vic, I, I decided not to be in it. And I was just a playwright in the room. Mm. And I was like, it's way more interesting yes. being over here, you know. And I think that naturally led to directing, basically. I think I think it's an interesting an interesting point about the sort of the ambitious script projects uh, as well. Because I mean, I, I've written some things that are ten, you know, twenty million, and, and they're completely unrealistic to do immediately. But the what you gain from writing those big ideas, I think, is really valuable because uh, it kind of gets you you thinking in certain things. And and I I, I wonder you know what you've learned from the kind of the script writing process um, and and what it's kind of taken forward into some of those more like uh, recent projects that you've kind of got to. I think the crazy thing about I mean I totally agree with what you're saying is that even just thinking about what sort of budget this movie is going to be if I take mm. a swing at it would never even cross my mind. And then I think, I, I think with, with screenplays, I'm a self-taught writer. So I never went to film school where somebody broke it all down. So I was always coming from instinct. And then I had a real issue with finishing things in my twenties. <laughs> like I get to the middle and then have another idea. Yeah. Yeah, and start, and start that. It's it's always that you get to that point of oh, this is hard work now. Oh my god, yeah. I've really got to <laughs> yeah. pull this apart and dive in to make this anything. Yeah. Do you know what? Sod it. I've got a better yeah. idea. And then you do the same totally. again because you, you, totally. you that screenwriting or writing, you've got to know the details that you know. And that that's discipline and hard work, and it mm. doesn't come easy to everyone. It doesn't. And I remember I co-wrote with a friend of mine, and he was just really rigorous on structure and getting to the end. And I sort of realized, oh yeah, we've gotten to the end, it exists. Yes. Now we get to go back and, and sort of play around with it. But then I was likewise quite frustrated working with him because I felt like I wanted to do all the weird dark art house stuff and he was kind of more into sort of commercialism. Mm. And, and, then, and then I think when I started writing plays, there's a real rigor to writing plays and it's really difficult and it's all dialogue driven. So I knew I had good dialogue. I was like, well, I've got an ear for dialogue. And I think that comes from performance. And, and then I think I was just ready to write The Strays. When, when, when the time came, I, was, I, was, I took the big breath you know as you do yeah oh gosh then, here we go Dive yeah in. totally yeah. yeah and now i really and now i've sort of weirdly gone back to the youtube videos of like paul schrader and tarantino and other people talking about their process of writing and being like maybe i should try and steal some well, I you know. find that that really interesting because same as you, you know, I put on plays at the Royal Court. I wrote stuff back when I was acting and I was always trying to get things finished exactly the same with screenplays. And you get to a point 70 pages in and I go, oh, my God, I'm not even at the uh, second, uh, you know, act mark and I'm 70 <laughs> pages in. What the hell am I doing here? And totally. that, that discipline, that sort of education and about going back. Now, I remember reading all the books and watching as many YouTube videos or anything like that I could get my hands on. On podcasts weren't around then as such to try and understand screenwriting or the process but I hadn't done it so I didn't understand it and now going back to these old books that I read I totally get it more I'm like ah that makes sense now ah that's what that means and it, you know what? it's just experiencing getting it written so learn so from true. actual write write as much as you can and don't worry it's just going to be a piece of crap but get to the end make it better put it on your shelf now write the next one now write the next one right Totally. And also, even to that point, it feels like 
you know, if you're going to be a writer director, you got to write, you got to write film, like you got to have your film yeah. ready. Yeah. And, and I think that is another thing I was thinking that like, wow, even I've got, I write a lot, but sometimes I'm splitting my disciplines between sort of developing a TV pilot and a few film ideas. Sometimes I feel like, man, I wish I could just go more hardline and write screenplays and nothing mm. else. You know, I don't know if you guys feel that way at all. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think also I was, I was going to ask whether, whether you find it difficult in terms of being guided towards film or TV in the writing process, because I, I mean, I think definitely in the last couple of years, there was this kind of craze that was, let's make it into TV and like everything was like, let's yes. take every feature film and put it into TV. And certainly like TV is becoming the big, the big medium. Um, but then at the same time, like sometimes some things are just made for film and, you know, we grew up making films. Um, yeah. I mean, do, do you find it difficult sort of making that distinction between what you'd like to do or is it quite intuitive? I think I'm, I'm really only interested in the limited TV space because I think maybe you, there's a bit more light, like Chernobyl, I thought was incredible. Yeah, incredible, yeah. You know, and, and the first season of um, Big Little Lies, I thought was incredible and yes. stuff like that, where you really get to create a world. But I, the, the TV I struggle with, and I struggle with it as an actor sometimes as well, is where you just feel like there really is no end point to this story. Mm. And we're really just going to keep going. And, and, you know, and if we can make more money and just squeeze more out of it, we're just going to keep going. Whereas I think like working on a film, everybody knows that there's a beginning, middle and end, and that's where we're heading. And, and I think films are immortalized in, in a much greater way than than TV shows are partly because of the commitment, right. To watching 10, 20 hours of, of content. Mm -hmm. But, um, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of producers would lean back and be like, Oh, maybe that could be a, a series. And how would we like, you know, return it for two, three seasons. And I've started to really push, push back on that now, to be honest and be like, no, this is, it's a movie. I'm really passionate about cinema. Let's, let's try and make this a movie. Yeah, let's keep indie film alive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no, interestingly, your point there, you know, do, do we struggle with that? And absolutely, definitely what Dom says, five years ago, 10 years ago, everyone was saying, oh yeah, why not turn it into a TV? And then you'd spend mm. six months, if not longer, turning it into a TV mm. series. And by the time you got it to them, went, yeah, we're not looking for that anymore. Oh no, it's not mm. going to yeah. work out. You're like, why? So I'm the same as you know, I've stopped. I just, I'm just writing film. I'm like, look, if some mm. TV idea Amazing. comes or maybe this happens, Sure. But I've mm. just said, no, I'm sticking to this because you just get pulled. You get pulled totally. in all these directions and it might work for some people, but it doesn't work for me. And also some people are really good at writing TV. And, and, and I think I haven't quite unlocked, like I know, like I know my film where I can be like, you know, this is like those eighties thrillers or whatever. You know, I can go in and pitch something where I'm like, you know, whatever, this is about Jamaican folklore or whatever it's yeah, about. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> oh yeah, my we, God. Can you imagine? You all need to do an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> put that out there now. I'll put that out there now. It's going to happen. Um, and, and then, but yeah, but I think, um, but no, but just knowing your, I think maybe I just know movies and understand them in, in a deeper way. And I think it's also just, I, I think we're in a time now where genre is a hot, sort of clever genre movies or, or genre movies that are about something feel like quite they're quite the fad at the moment and that's my bag so i'm like okay great also you know? kind of a, as a as a as a writer director it's it's about sort of keeping that vision that we've that we've already talked about it, i suppose in a way although it's maybe harder to get a film made you can put together your team you can sort of 
you know, put the puzzle together very much yourself um, from the ground up. Now, what's your what's your process in terms of getting the the producer attached, the the finance, and and you know some of the struggles in in getting like these movies made? Yeah, I mean, and this isn't me throwing anybody under the bus, but I was I was developing the strays initially with the BFI um, and and film four, um, but mostly with the B, BFI, and then we brought film four on, and I. I felt, and it was partly because of the pandemic, I think as well, but we sort of got into a point with the script where it just felt like, it's like, are we going to do this or not? Because I could keep, I tweaked it. Look, I'm quite relentless as a writer and I can turn something around and around and around, but it, it sort of felt just like people were getting nervous about the subject matter and about sort of black anti-heroes and, and sort of, you know, it was even said to me, oh, when we put this through into the next phase, we're just a bit, you know, people might want to see more hopeful depictions of black characters and stuff, which to me, I was sort of just blown away by that because it feels like a form of censorship, even if, even if they don't really realize it. And it, it's wrapped up in a lot of things, which we can get into sometimes where I guess, uh, you know, a filmmaker of color, it's almost like you're having to hold the whole, the entire conversation of race in the one project because they're not getting made often enough, especially in this country. And, and so, and then, you know, Fiona Lamptey took over Netflix around a similar time. And she is a woman of color. It didn't, it didn't guarantee that she would understand the move, you know, connect with the movie necessarily. But I think the Netflix of it and her wanting to do more genre films in general, it was a very quick process, you know, and yes, the heavy lifting development had been done, but somebody being like in three weeks, they read your script, you budget, you send them a budget and then they're like, let's go. It's like the dream. You're like, what? So how did you get it to Fiona Lamptey at Netflix? How did that, how did that process sort of, you know, come along? Was it, was it just a cold pitch or? No, cause by then we had a really tight script, which we all felt like this script is ready to go. Um, and then look, I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened with the BFI. It might have. Um, but I think, uh, Tristan Gallagher, uh, one of my producers from the bureau, uh, sent it to Fiona. And I think it just, you know, it's, sometimes it happens and sometimes the serendipity is that normally it's like, oh, everybody leaves and then new people come in and they're like, we don't like your ideas anymore, you know, <laughs> but well, I was on the other side of that, you know, and it was like, and it was, it happened very quickly. And then I, my producing team, who at this moment in time are the only people I'm working with on my films, uh, Rob Watson, Valentina Brazzini, and Tristan Golliger, who are like, I met them when I did, um, well, Rob produced Clam, my short film. And then I did, I did Daphne with the Bureau quite a few yeah. years ago with yeah, Emily Beecham. Yeah, it's great film, that. So it's sort of, you know, you meet good people, you want to hold on to them. Because um, mm. as you know, the whole process of making a film is very stressful and you, you know, I think it's important that you want to go for a drink with, with your producers at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. Well, you got to like your team because you're with them for the next sort of, you know, two, three years, you know, yeah. and you're in the trenches with them really deeply. You've got to really? get on it. It's really important. Um, let's, let's jump back a little bit then. So y y with the climb and then meeting Rob Watson or getting Rob Watson involved and then meeting Tristan, let's just talk about that because our filmmakers are listening are going, yeah, great. You, you've got a producer on board and they go to Netflix. How did you get the producer on board? How did you make your short? So let's talk about your process then in terms of, you know, you actually did go and make Clam. Um, talk us through that, why it happened, why it came about, why you wanted to do it. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, well, Clam was originally a kind of one-man show I'd written for theatre. Right. And just a guy sort of in a flat 
losing his mind, kind of holding out this, holding an investigation in his local area because his best friend's gone missing. But the more and more stuff he excavates for his investigation, the more and more his flat is transforming into a coffee shop until, you know, his own investigation becomes his, his undoing sort of thing. And then somebody said, Jamie Cruz actually at Acme um, read it and was like, oh, this, you should make this into a short film. And Creative England are looking for like shorts right now. So can you turn this around really quickly and sort of, <laughs> and you, you went, know, yeah. truncate it? Like, yeah. Was like, yeah, let's go. Sure. And so it was originally that half hour script. And then Celine Hiddad, who's now at the mm. Irish Film Board, who was at Creative England then, I went in to meet her and, and we just really connected and she really loved the script. And and then, yeah. And then we somehow, you know, got the budget to make it, which back then was 50 K, which I don't know that people get that now to make shorts. So, no, no, that, yeah, that's, that's a big amount budget. of money. Yeah. It's decent. It's, it's decent. Yeah. yeah. But I, I get why they give that much because you get the right team in then you're not just asking favors from mates or someone you don't know's mate who will come along and gaffer for you or grip for you you're getting proper teams in and they're getting paid and it's a proper yeah setup so therefore you have great resources around you which really help how did that feel making that as a first short how did you plan it what went through your mind because suddenly you know there's 50k on the table but also you want to prove yourself what what did you do the short i made i made a short film I made two shorts before that that were completely self-funded. Yeah, and talking traffic, ex right? Experiments. Yeah, talking and, traffic. I co-directed, but Slap, but Slap was a first, and you know, Slap was like a silent film, and I was like, the first one I want to make is going to be a silent film where only one character talks, right? Uh, who's got who's got verbal diarrhea, which was quite, you know, which we thought was quite funny anyway, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then it was like a sort of Kurosawa esque kind of slap battle what we're all building towards this thing that we think is going to be a knife fight or something and it ends up being a slap battle which we shoot you know like like a kurosawa sort of scene and stuff and i worked with joel fry yeah on that um sh on that short and then i sort of after that got the bug to like oh maybe i could maybe i could do this and uh, and then i was like learning more about lenses and learning more about um with will fawn who I co-directed talking traffic with. Yeah, he came on the podcast. Yeah. We know, I know Will um, really well. Will's from, an amazing guy. Yeah, years ago. He made Silent Night, didn't he? His feature, which you were yes. in as well. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So lots of full circles. Yeah. How did you co-direct? Because um, that, that's an interesting one. Like, you know, how do you split the responsibilities? I think it shows a lot of humility to be able to do it. And, and I suppose you have to really assign roles or what you're comfortable with. It was just, I think Will's just a really kind of uh, malleable guy. And he... Um, He's got a really good eye. Uh, and so on the technical side of thing, I think he really comes to that place in a really experienced way. He's, he's directed way more than I had, but I think I've obviously worked more with actors and more with performance and maybe mm. felt a bit more sort of comfortable um, working with the actors. Uh, I, I, but, but again, I'm sure he feels comfortable working with actors. So, but really that was just a sort of experiment. And we wanted to give Nadia Cavell, who is a brilliant writer, we just wanted to make something quickly with her so she had something to go out with um, as well. And then so all those things sort of led to me writing Clam, casting Joel as the lead, and, and then 
you know how it is when you're doing your first few shorts you don't really know anything do you you're just sort of learning about <laughs> yeah. and you gotta learn gotta learn quick right gotta learn you're just thrown in you're like uh, yeah. uh and they're going where do you want the yeah. shot where do you want the camera and you're like mm -hmm, you tell me <laughs> totally. yeah and i this think that for nice. me was just like yeah you know like follow your instinct really yeah, yeah i was totally. just like I'd, I'd seen so many movies a big coen brothers fan mm. and i just knew that clam sort of sat in that like i almost felt like joel was like a john jaturo out yes. of Barton Fink. Yeah, he is. In yeah. fact, he was our ref for that character. Hmm. Um, and, and and then I think the the beat the oh, and so that was BBC Films who came on board that as well as um, Creative England. And they were really candid and blunt and just said, if you do well, then we can talk about a feature. And it was literally as straightforward as that, which really? I appreciated. Wow. Definitely. That's yeah. really nice. But then the pressure is a little bit on because but at this point you've probably got you've got the bug like you say and you're like yeah mm. I'd really like to do a feature and, and BBC have said if I do well oh my god yeah. the pressure that must have been a little bit on you know it's yeah. there but then mm -hmm. I think there's like the, the, the best thing about Clam was I had Joel and, and, yeah. uh, and me yeah, and Joel yeah. knew who that character was and so I, he's in every scene and I'm building it around him it just made it so much so much more easier we had a shorthand Yes. Um, already, yeah. which was, which was great. Um, yeah. and I wanted to keep an element of that when we moved, when I moved on. And it's funny because a lot of people said, why don't you just make Clam the feature, like friends of mine who had seen it and stuff. And I was like keen to go elsewhere because I was like, I know I can make a bro movie as my first movie, but I don't want to do that. Yeah. I kind of want to challenge myself to do something that, that, that is deeply personal, but sort of takes me somewhere else. So, no, yeah. I, I like that. I like that sort of commitment and and decision. I mean, I think that's one of those kind of you know um, generic film advice that, that everyone says is you've got to do your first movie as a gangster film or a horror or whatever. And it's like if you want to make those films and, and like you've got a great idea and it's personal to you, then then do it, sure. But don't sort of do it out of the sake of it if that's not what you're kind of interesting in. Totally, yeah. I think when my first play was on, I realized because that's a weird thing about you know having a play on at the Young Vic and being a player, it's a very sort of, um, you're really you're really out there, you're quite exposed and it is very similar to being a filmmaker. You know, you've got all the press writing about your play and sort of um, taking stuff away from it. And one of the things that was a reoccurring thing when that play was on was where are all the female characters? Yeah. And, but that was about to toxic masculinity and, and male friendship. But it, it did sort of get in my head a bit where I was like, I didn't even know if I could write, um, you know, female characters at all and then my second play was a family drama based on all the women in my family that come from a big matriarchal family and i just knew i knew how to write them and i was like oh wow these characters are even more interesting than my bro characters <laughs> <laughs> yeah well because you like I say the bro characters you almost go stereotypical some way but here you can now dive into a whole spider's web of intrigue and things they keep secret from you and i think that's fascinating which is what you know obviously comes across in the strays massively and really really interesting um so we're at that point now where clum has done well and bbt films were then at that point and obviously now you've got your producers rob and the clam before the storm you could oh, say nice you could say <laughs> hey, <man. Yeah. laughs> He's good. Like use, that. use it clam before it. the storm that's yeah. brilliant yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, we went to okay there's another serendipitous piece to this story which i gotta throw in was that so we got into south by southwest with clam nice. so we went to austin which which i don't know if you guys have been to austin but i that I think this is the best festival ever. Nice. Um, and then I was also like, wow, look at all this solidarity amongst all the filmmakers. This is the opposite to actors, you know, who are always sort of competing. Yes. Um, and, and then, um, but then when we were there, funnily enough, um, 
Fiona Lanty was there with Remy Weeks' short film Tickle Monster. Mm, I don't know if you've ever seen that, that short yes, film. So he, that. Yeah. It really brilliant film. He was in the Midnight Fest. And I remember me and Rob Watson playing pool with um against Fiona. <laughs> and like, but nice. you know, it was funny how, like, you know, whatever some years later she was running Netflix. And I'm not saying it's because she beat me up all that it was all good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but what you're saying but, there is by being out and about, by you putting yourself yeah. out there, Austin Film Festival, turning up, being there, being present, and then meeting Fiona just by chance, playing pool with her. Uh, and then, yeah, when then you've got a conversation, you've got an in when you you talk next and it's authentic time. way in as well it's not like yes. it's not like diving in because they're the head of netflix it's like you're yeah, diving exactly. in because yeah, yeah. Cool. Like, <laughs> you've already got into it with them you know we, we went for lunch as well and you've already got into like horror horror films and, and in fact get out was dropping at that festival i don't know if it was in competition but it was certainly screening in in the cinemas and so we were there with clown we saw get out and i think and then when we got back we were fortunate enough to to win best UK film at Rain Dance, which Ooh. always helps a bit, doesn't it? I mm -hmm. guess winning something, and, yep. and and then after that, I guess you know the parents were like, okay, let's talk about the future. <laughs> That's ace. That's great. Yeah. And at that point, did you you'd, had you had the idea for the Strays, or was it just percolating? I, I think I was really. It was something was beginning. I did a BFI network after that, and in, I don't know. Twenty sixteen was like a golden year for film you know it was like get out moonlight american honey um la la land i mean there were so many incredible films that year and i at that festival the whole when we were on bfi network the whole conversation that we were having all these first-time filmmakers was what should your first feature be and i think it was kind of clear that it should be personal and that if you can if you have a interesting genre then that might help as well so i really came away from that network feeling like i want to write a suburban thriller and i want it to be about you know a, a woman i'd heard this story about this woman who'd sort of eloped her family um started again and i was like oh i sort of feel like that's got a bit of a history of violence mm. kind of thing to it and i love that movie and and that was kind of the beginnings of, of that and, and then what i do is i always like soft pitch my mates the ideas in the pub Yes. and just see if they get bored yeah it's so important because i just go oh you mean like that film or ah I don't, yeah i don't know and it's so important to do that people are so scared to do it but actually pitch to everyone pitch just say because you then uh, perfect your pitch for one thing for when you do then go meet fiona lamptey or whoever else in a room you're ready to say what this story is and you've got your pitch perfected because all oh, your mates will tear it apart easily tear it apart yeah completely yeah, yeah. Did you have like the idea of of how the genres would kind of play in the writing stage, or was that more in the sort of pre-production phase? Because obviously it, it starts off and it kind of goes into the almost sort of horror territory where she's seeing them in the in the rearview mirrors, and it's like you know it, it could even be like you know is this is this a real or is it like sort of a ghost? It's going into that territory, and then at some point you've got to make this transition where suddenly it's like a very real, completely there in the moment sort of drama. Um, and I wondered whether that was always the plan to sort of, you know, mix those two genres and, you know, transition across. It was always the plan. And I think at a literary stage, that was just like a really cool thing. And then when we're actually making that work, it's like, oh, wow, that's a really big commitment, actually, because everybody is like, okay, this is a horror film. And I think, you know, my, I think why I did it was, is that I wanted to deliberately make the audience feel like 
these two black characters were objectified and were as sort of, um, you know, like as inhuman as possible to then pull the rug from on the audience's feet and throw them into their vulnerability and all the nuances of their relationship. And then also like, oh, wow, they had discarded children on top of that. Um, and then, and then I guess pull the rug again in the home invasion and be like, be that as it may, they're sort of nuts. You, you know what I mean? And, mm. and then in fact, we did it with the real horror of family and, and, and sort of, is it a home invasion? Is it not? Is it a reunion? Is it an invasion? And, and so, and you know how it is it, when your genre, when it's a genre mash, you're always taking a risk. Mm. Yeah. And that must have been the pushback you got, which is what you said, you know, from all those rewrites with BBC and BFI. And they're saying, and you didn't feel, you're like, I keep getting pulled away from what I want it to be, or maybe it's better certain bits and certain bits aren't. And it's a real struggle, I think, for filmmakers, screenwriters at that point, when you're constantly being pulled, a new producer will come on and go, oh, I love this, but let's explore that area. And you spend ages exploring it. And then, Absolutely. you know, and you go, oh, that doesn't work now, does it? Or you've, and, and it's keeping the essence of what's true and your vision. And it's really hard. It's really hard to go, no, this is, we've got to stay on this line. But sometimes people want you to do that as well. They want you to be in control, <laughs> you know? Such a robustly, sort mm. of push back but you know the funny thing about it is and again it's no swipe at the development process but i think i realized having made the movie now that i was actually being asked the wrong questions you know in that development process because yes i had a, a complex divisive character as my lead okay let's just all accept that that's the case and get on board that but i think really the question should have been do you want this to be a full-blown horror or do you want this to be like a psychodrama? And, and just really like, mm. because I think by going like, what movie is this? I think in fact that that would have just been like, all right, well, if it's going to be a full-blown horror, then, then the kids are going to have to be dead or something, or we're going to have to lean into some other trope yes. that's going to take us into the supernatural, you know, but if it's not going to be that, then we're going to go segue into the real emotional sort of horror of, of what's happening. And I realized I was like, I was like, never asked that question once in the process. Um, and, and that makes me feel like you got to know that going into making a movie, I think you have to know that so, so well, the movie you're making. I think, okay. I think that can be one of the biggest mistakes as well, as well. And, and it's, it's, it's when you're in it, it's very, very hard to get out of that situation. But when you have a new producer or you know, a new sort of team come on board and they start sort of giving notes, it's like, am I improving in the same direction that the story has always wanted to go? Or am I sort of flipping off to the left or flipping off to the right to sort of try and please someone? And you've got, you've got to realize that I suppose if you start doing that, but then the person doesn't get the thing made or they didn't, you're actually wasting huge chunks of time. And then you're having to like find your way back to the center again. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a really valuable lesson to to have been through. Yeah, did you take from when, it, when you moved in, Fiona was like, oh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll take this. Did you? then move back to your original idea a little bit did you did that change your thought process well the first question she asked is she's like i want to do it but i want it to be more of a psych horror and that was the first thing she threw in i think we were all like oh yeah like nobody's really yeah I get said that to yeah. us ever in three years of making this um in fact yeah and and so and and then i think what that threw up for me was a big question of of like who do we kill at the end of the film and, and, and how bloody and, and extreme does it go? Because I think someone said at the Q&A on Monday, they felt it was almost more like a Greek um, family tragedy. tragedy. Yeah. And yeah. I, I really loved that. I'm like, yeah, I think that's a really accurate 
That's a really good way of putting it. That's so right. Very Medea, isn't it? It's very Greek tragedy of, you know, mm. not knowing, even though there's a lot less incest uh, in the Why don't you um, give us a little picture of what the film is and then we can drop the trailer in yeah. and then we can deep dive uh, cool, into man. it. Yeah, so the, the film essentially is, is about a woman living the perfect life in an English suburb with two perfect children, perfect husband. She's a deputy headmistress at the local school. And um, two mysterious strangers arrive in her town and start to interrupt and dismantle her routine, revealing a shocking secret. Welcome to our home. You're practically one of us. Practically. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. Rose. Good morning, Miss Williams. Um, are you all right? I'm fine, I'm fine. What are you talking about? Someone's coming! What is wrong with you tonight? There are people out to hurt us. Out to bring violence against us. What kind of messed up game are you playing? <laughs> is it true? What happened in the past, me? It's not what you think. Who are you? I'm sure you want to go through with this. Run. Run. And run. There we go. Uh, yeah, the, it must it must feel great. Like, you know, you you're hearing that Netflix sound and there's yeah, your yeah. trailer, right? It's, Why it's is that a, sound? Why is that yeah. sound so affecting? It really know, is, isn't it? It gets you, doesn't it? Because you're waiting. It's been developed in like some kind of amazing like <laughs> underground bunker for like yeah. sounds that give people joy or something. Yeah, exactly. Just to right, make right. you go, oh, yeah, who yeah, knows, yeah. who knows? But that must, have, that must have felt, that must feel good right now, yeah. knowing you can just go onto Netflix and go, there it is. Oh, yeah, it's your first debut movie. I can't tell you how, you know what it's like. I mean, just to get to make a movie is like a rite of passage. And so, and then, and then to get to make it, to get to make this sort of movie and then to get to make it with Netflix who have, you know, who have the, the, the branding and, and the, you know, I, I guess the culture where people go, okay, that must be a legit movie. So mm -hmm. I'm going to take a punt on that uh, with a movie as weird as ours mm -hmm. is. Yeah, you're right. It's like pinch your skin sort of moment you know um 
excitement and then absolute fear obviously yes obviously <laughs> obviously now it's out there in the world and anyone can yeah. write anything they like about it like we said at the beginning all right so let's talk about you then as a director uh going right how am i going to do this as a feature or did you do shot list did, did you talk with your uh amazing dp uh, about how you yeah. were going Incredible. to make it talk us through that yeah really good really amazing question i mean i i think it was at first it's like um I think the central when I'm writing a script, there's already shots in there. Some of the shots are in there. Mm. So I'm just one of that's how I like to it's like it's a literary document, but it's also stepping towards production a bit. Do you do you ever get pushback on that? Like like from 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 agents or whatever? Oh, it's a director's script. It's like, well, no, it's just it's just describing it. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> you, know, you do get some pushback, don't you? Like, stay open, stay open, you know. Mm. But I think it's for me, I'm like, I'm I'm when I'm writing it, I'm experiencing what the movie is in a really visceral way. And I think that what particular, there's one shot which sort of tracks towards her when she sat at the table with the family and the family are all sort of, uh, I don't think there's any dialogue, you can't hear it. And it's just all sound design, but the camera just pushes it on her face. And that shot was in the first draft, you know, and it remained all the way to the edit. So, oh, so you wrote camera moves in to the script. So you said we're, we're pushing in on her yeah hair. oh wow, totally. wow. Okay. yeah yeah completely and and so and i love yeah because i don't know i think that's just for me it makes sense i don't know how you guys feel about it but just some every now and again i just feel like oh yeah that moment is so clear to me i want to put the shot in because mm. that's part of the storytelling um I, yeah and then i think we just had to build our references and i think um we had funny games so you know Rewatching Funny Games a bunch of times. Yeah, Hannah Kay's movie. Yeah. Which is a, a tough, a tough thing yes. to do. <laughs> a few times in <laughs> a row, then, right? Let's go again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I think, and then me and Adam just, we just developed a, a sort of cinematic language for the film. We also really, we watched Killing of a Sacred Deer mm, a, yeah. a few times because we love yeah. the fairy tale sort of element to, to that film. And then the, and then we were really interested in It Follows yes, as well. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think once we've found our references, we then, you know how it is, you're sort of ste you're stealing or you're recycling mm -hmm. from movies that have achieved what you want to achieve. And then, and then we did shot list, but then I just like ran out of time, <laughs> like in pre-production, just completely ran out of time. So we hadn't finished the shot list. We got halfway through, but I tell you what though, I actually, it made me feel like maybe while shot listing frees you up, I quite like not like walking onto a scene and not having a shot list sometimes. Well, well there's there's the element of acting, isn't there? Like because when you when you shot list stuff very very um very much in advance and then you haven't had the time to do the rehearsals with the actors, the actors might go across the set and say, oh, "This doesn't feel natural coming from this tour." You know, can mm -hmm. I can I come and sit over here? And then suddenly, like you've planned all these shots and there isn't really time to to redo them. I mean, do do you mm. tend to try and work around the performances on on the day rather than sort of adapting the camera, or is it more of a balance? It's sort of, it's a, it's a dance for me. And I think, which is why when I'm working with a cinematographer and I'm really feeling he's like, it, all those decisions have been made and, and they want you to fit your performance into it. It's always tricky. And I think it has to be a bit of a dance. And, uh, and because I'm an actor, obviously I may be biased towards my actors. Like I want to, I want to make sure that they feel liberated and, and able to just express themselves. And I think, um, I think the big con conceptual thing me and Adam did though, was that like, we were like the first act, the camera has to be as sort of structured and formalized as her life is. So, so it's all very, 
you know, constructed on sticks. It's, it's, you know, it's very composed. Uh, and then, and then when we got to the Carl and Dion act, we were playing around. We, we really loved the movie elephant, you know, the yes, Van Sant movie. Van Sant and movie. we were like, yeah. Yeah. you know, the, the, the kids and the bright colors and, and just, again, I think there was this fairy tale thing of them almost just the, the way they look at each other and just that we go into this weird sort of coming of age chapter and, we, and, and so there's was, was a lot of steady cam in, in that, a lot of following people as they're walking. And then, and then also wanting to just really photograph how different the black kids were from the biracial kids and, and their features and stuff. Uh, and, and then in the Cheryl act, we decided that it, she was on trial in that chapter. So she's always in the camera alone and everybody else is always sharing the frame. Which people don't really notice, but when you yeah, say it, yeah, yeah, now nah, go, oh yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. You know, and and then I think at the very end of that chapter, all the family join her in that motif in that shot, and it's almost like okay, we transition it into something else, and then the last act, we go full blown handheld, um, and the, and it's like the the gear, the wheels come off, and we're just into into chaos. Yeah, basically. I love that. And I love that you thought about all that and it does make a difference in the film. It really does. Mm. Oh, thank you, man. Adam always used to say, if we make those gear changes too extreme, like it will feel, he would say it's more like a film school film. It would be more like your shiny film school film. Mm. But if you don't hold your nerve, there is a part of you that's like, shit, can't we just like do something crazy in each act? But I'm glad we sort of held it back because the thing people don't even notice, but maybe it's just something they feel. Yeah, it happens. It happens very subtly. I mean, in, in terms of the performances as well, like making those those transitions, because because also it is a mystery, um, and it, it definitely does sort of keep you you intrigued. Was there, in terms of the rehearsal, was there any sort of thought behind? Okay, I don't want to tell the actors too much or over rehearse some of this stuff because I want it to feel sort of fresh when some of these revelations happen. At, at one point, I was like, "Oh man, can it be? Can I have it that?" Sebastian and Mary don't meet Carl and Dion until the first day on set on that scene. Mm -hmm. But then that just became impossible <laughs> because as you know, pre-production and costume fittings and, and all that stuff, uh, and it being the first feature, I just don't think I, I had enough time to do that. But I think what we did was we went deep, deep into the origin stories of, of Carl and Dion and, and Cheryl uh, and, and, and especially Justin Salinger mm. and Ashley Medeque's relationship, like I made them improvise all of their relationship up until when he asks her to come back to Castle Combe, you know, Coombe with, with him, which obviously we don't see any of that in, in the movie, but they knew, they sort of had all that sort of legacy story that they could then play around with. And the, and the same with Carl and Dion, I got them to improvise like when they were in care and when they were in hostels and, and all these really fraught, situations and and when they find the newspaper for the first time where they see their mom who they think is dead mm. and just playing that scene out so we just sort of had that as memories mm. how much rehearsal time did you get with them because with your actors because you said you ran out of time in terms of your prep a little bit of your prep but in terms of rehearsal because rehearsal is really important and you know you coming from the theater and acting background i imagine mm. you're like oh we have to rehearse this did you yeah. obviously and it's often not put into any budgets <laughs> at all ever rehearsal time just ever. often is never in there and you've got to ask mm. for it uh, and do it early yeah. so that people actually budget it in but how did you yeah, manage so to get away with that how did you say no no i need rehearsal give me it please 
I, do you know what? I just really pushed for it. I think I ended up getting, I mean, look, man, I got two days rehearsal, but you know how it is. It was like Oof, two days rehearsal in a costume month. Fitting. Yeah, costume yeah, fittings. That, yeah. All that madness, you know, and also people want to ask you 101 questions while you're on a, on a break between always that's that's basically your job as a director isn't it it's like you're answering questions that's the job as a director know this now everyone (laughs) you just you answer questions you have to know answers even if you don't know make them up but you have to give an answer yeah you have to yeah Yeah. and and it's it's, it's so interesting and it's kind of like um i think it's just people you know a lot of directors say oh we don't we don't do rehearsal because we want to keep it fresh but i think my take on that is just you just want to make sure that everybody's really familiar with what the story is because you what you don't want is people people rocking up and not having a grasp on the story because then you've just not not even gotten to the deeper layers of of what it is you're doing and but then when i'm on set i'm very loose about the scenes in terms of obviously you say the lines but I, i never really say there's one version i like to go into the edit with three different versions of a performance really and then find it find it in the edit because i as an actor i know i sort of feel like when somebody is sort of giving me less notes and just making me go again and again and every now and again coming in and giving me a pointer i always find things because i'm i just feel really confident and liberated and so things happen um rather than burdening an actor with just like loads of notes so would would you say when you're sort of doing rehearsals especially that you're you're more like asking questions about the material and the sort of the backstory etc rather than saying can we try it this way or can we try it this way? Um, exactly. Just to sort of free up the exactly. actors. Is, is that kind of the, yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's all of that. And it's, yeah, it's, and in a way it's like, let's improvise away from the text so we can sort of get into the characters without the pressure of getting stuck in a rhythm, you know, for, for the scenes. And then, and then I can just sort of download everything I'm thinking about the movie and what I sort of want it to be so that they know what movie they're in. Because sometimes, you know, you might work with, I've been in things where an actor turns up and it's like, now you're in a different show, mate. Mm, this is not that yeah. show. And it's not that what you're doing isn't good. It's just that you know, it's yeah, much bigger it or much fit. more. Yeah. You know? Mm. And so, and also a big part of it is casting. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. Cause I, when I cast them, I, you know, you're, as you guys know, you're sort of casting souls. And so I felt like I had within that ensemble, I was like, they're all the right, they've all got the right sort of spirit for this, for this movie. Talking about cast then, because, you, you know, I loved your cast. I think it's fantastic. Mm. Uh, some amazing people in here. Um, friend of the podcast, Vanessa Bailey, also turns up as well, which is really lovely. Um, uh, but, Buc- cool. uh, but Bucky Bakari, obviously yeah. incredible. We could go through your whole list, to be honest. But uh, actually, Madekwe, um and Justin Salinger, was there any pushback on any of these actors from netflix in any way i mean you might not be able to say too much but was there any kind of we need a big name was there any of that talk because they're all fantastic actors but um we know who they are but not necessarily everyone else does yeah i think look you know to be completely transparent obviously at the beginning of the process you're thinking about the biggest name you can get for the role and and then i think what's great about the process is you whittle that process down until somebody just really surprises you with a read. And I think with, with Ashley, because I knew Ashley, but she was younger than the char- how I'd envisaged the character because the character was originally late 40s. And so when she was first suggested to me, I was like, well, she's an incredible actress, but she's too young for the character. And then whilst I was doing recalls with, with actresses, 
um, on Zoom, actually, because we, we shot the film in the pandemic, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Outside, her tape had just come in. And I remember sort of finishing that session, all the producers being huddled around this big Apple sort of TV screen. And we all just watched the tape. And we were like, oh my God, this is, this is a character. Wow. You know, and, and then so we called up Shaheen Beg in a bit of a panic because we were like, <laughs> <That's a doctor. laughs> yeah, yeah, she's, she's 10 years too young. So what is that? What can we do about that? Mm. And then she's like, just let's just bring all the kids ages down. Let's just bring them all down, <sighs> you know, and find new raw actors. And so then that that became quite exciting, actually, because I was like, oh, well, then being younger, maybe it's just a bit more twisted as well. The whole thing it just feels a bit more. You know. Yeah, it worked for me that that whole that age group worked absolutely brilliantly because it's right on the edge of teenagers becoming adults, and at that point they can go off the rails. They can do anything if they're not, you know. Yeah, it definitely had more menace actually. I think. Yeah, had the menace. No, that parental sort of this is you know, and that really worked for me because it was like they could do anything, and that that was fascinating. Yeah. yeah, and hopefully, I mean, I don't know in terms of spoilers what we can and can't say, but like by the by the end, like you say, they're still in that journey, the four of them. Yes. Yeah. And they're sort of bonded, bonded by trauma in their own way. It's like, there's, like you say, there's still development to go. Like, who do they then go on to become? Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically Netflix were really supportive basically and said, yeah. Yeah. They can... didn't, they didn't, right. yeah. They never said once you have to cast this one person um, ever. I, I mean, it's sort of like, I think the good thing about working with, and I don't know if the culture's changed now because you know how these things go. They, mm-hmm. You know, the date, the, the data comes in and yeah. maybe they're like, everybody on every film has to be part of the Netflix universe. So can we get so-and-so from stranger things to be the lead in this and stuff? But I, we were just, no, we were completely left to our, um, you know, they were heavily involved, but they were also like, okay, we trust in your instincts. Um, uh, and even the last two, I think Netflix was sort of leaning towards one way and I was sort of leaning another way. And then I think it's in the edit when you're like, okay, yeah, we're making a, we're working with Netflix. That makes oh, any right. sense. <laughs> oh yes. Now that makes a bit more sense. They're a little bit now more. Now they're like sh- very involved. Yeah. Very, very, oh really? Okay. Much, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I was like, oh yeah, the studio's involved, but in a good way, I think it's like, because you have to make a movie that's going to play on the, on the service as, as well as cinema. Cause obviously we're really passionate about cinema, but you, you have to, that's what the brief is. So, so what were maybe some of the, the notes or, or areas that Netflix were interested in either sort of slightly tweaking or changing the storyline, maybe in the sort of the editing or what you shot? I think it's like pickups, obviously, sort of getting new material to kind of help make the story clearer. I think what we really realized in the test screeners that we did which, which are really tough because it's an unfinished movie and people are just filling out forms, done, didn't like this, that was all right, you know, and all that stuff, is that I think that character without, without that prologue and knowing who she, she was before she leaves um, is just really difficult to get into. So we had a cut of the movie where you don't see Cheryl at the beginning and it was just, it, yeah, pe- people just couldn't get down with her. They just had a real, you know, and so once we, you know, and then they were great. They were like, well, what do you have any ideas as to how we can get into that character quicker um, and get the audience on side? And so it was a mixture of shooting some new, new material and then also maybe scaling back. I think there was more, there were a few more controversial sort of um, internalized um, r- r- racist moments that I think were just a bit 
I, I just think we had to just find find the modulation on how we reveal that about her in more of a subtle way rather than yeah there were just a few scenes where i think it was like we just really hate the character now so let's just scale back yeah and we do have to like her we have to even though what she might have done and we're putting that as a might you need to go watch this film anyway uh so that really helped us to sort of go we just want to know what's going on whether we like her or not we're on her journey and that was fascinating you mentioned there about the race angle um and i think it's a really important topic and the fact that you've tackled this and it's something you said at the beginning as well How, like you say you, you and i think anything of this tone is always going there's always going to be a bit of backlash there's always going to be a bit of yeah but why not push that harder and why are you making um black people look a certain way but you said no i wanted to tell a story could you just talk to us a little bit more about that yeah well i think even like um the the plays i i had produced i think i was always using satirical um you know kind of devices to explore the, the black experience and i think mm. with this movie it was the same i think i just wanted to i mean the fact that it's a thriller mm -hmm. for me even as a genre match but the fact that it's a thriller to me feels like the most the, the thing i'm most satisfied about because in fact the movie is really dealing with some really kind of serious issues but it's yep. in the format of a of a genre piece and i think you know, you don't often get that blend when it's, when it's to do with race. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. Jordan Peele has exploded that open in an incredible way. Yes. Um, but I think for me, even with Clam, it's a thing I've always been interested in. I, yeah, yeah. So, so I guess, you know, there's always going to be a risk because if I had made a social realist film that was like secret secrets and lies part two, then I think maybe people would just be much more, no, no, some people really celebrate what it is. So I'm not, I can't say that, but I think for some people mm. and oftentimes surprisingly, it, it might even be the more liberal, you know, the sort of more liberal space where you think it would actually be the opposite way around are sort of sometimes take issue. I think with, with sort of, Oh, that's not explained. Or why don't we get more of this? Or, you know, some of the things that character does or the fact yeah. that the two antagonists are dark skinned. Mm hmm you know, um, where, and, and for me, I'm like, if you want to reduce my characters in that way, I can't even really have a conversation with you because, you know, I know those two, I know Jordan and Bookie loved playing those characters. And we're like, yes, they feel like anti-hit. We feel like we're in a sort of thriller and we never really get to play those roles in this sort of story. So I don't know. It's complicated. It is complicated. But it's brilliant. I'd love to talk about uh, this little birdie told me uh, that you shot one of your scenes. And I think it's, if I'm right, it's uh, the family reunion scene. And you kind of did it in one shot, even though the end result is not in one shot. But you shot it all in one shot. But you kind of closed the set down for a day or two. Is this correct? And if so, tell us how you managed to pull yes. this off. <laughs> well, obviously, I was like all right, the home invasion sequence is a play. You know, I want it to become a piece of theater. And that was always the conception behind it. And I was like, someone I want to need some rehearsal guys, you know, and then that rehearsal started at, at one point it was like three days. We were actually going to stand down filming and rehearse it for three days. Okay. Then, it, then it was two days. <laughs> and then it was half went, you've got yeah, half yeah. an hour. <laughs> no, no, surely. So no, it was like half, half a day. Then it became oh, half okay. a day. <laughs> yeah. Which was insane, really, because not really a rehearsal. But but what was cool about that was that there was no cameras in the room. 
Maybe it was yes. a day. I can't remember. Yeah. And we came in and we sort of had our scripts, set out some tables. I said to all the cast, I was like, look, seriously, you know, I'm, I'm like, there's no way, there's no, how can I put it? There's no diploma. There's diplomacy in a lot of things, but what there isn't diplomacy in is like, you have to come off book. You have to know that home invasion sequence. You have to know it like the back of your hand, wake up in the middle of the night and you could do it because we're, we're going to shoot it in real time. And, and there's going to be water filling up, you wow. know, in, 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 wow. in that scene and credit to them. They all came and they knew it like the back of their hand. And then, and then what we decided to do was that every, every take, in that scene is is like an 18 19 minute take and so that was the that was the rule that that it was just like we wouldn't we wouldn't chop it up and, and i think it was a, even if something went wrong you were like no no just keep going through it no, no we had to start again if something oh, went if wrong, something went wrong really oh wow yeah we had to go back <laughs> with, to the beginning with all that water you'd have to drain it all out you'd have to go again saying that so, so in the masters Yes. We have to go again. But when right. we were doing yeah. singles, when we were doing the 18 minute singles, we were, we could sort of have a bit more license. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah. yeah. There, there, were, there were moments where you could like, I, I felt like the sound was really leading some of the water sort of treading moments. And I was like, have you, have you given yourself a bit of a safety net uh, there? Because like shooting, you know, the, the consistency would have been a nightmare to have done every single shot with the water in. Totally, yeah. We, we did a few passes without the water and then I just think because they had the rest of the movie under their belts by then they sort of really knew who the characters were and then we would just I, I gotta say it was the most satisfying part of the shoot you know and it made me think it, I was like maybe I'll just do the next movie all handheld in one occasion on <laughs> <laughs> <And> one shot <laughs> yeah <laughs> but sure yeah nine minutes you can do it yeah but, but we knew we were going funny I think what's exciting for me is that I know not everybody has seen funny games, but I knew what that rep was for me. And it felt really exciting that we were sort of in conversation with that movie, but, but sort of recycling that, which feels like a progression of cinema in terms of just where we're at in 2023, that someone is now recycling funny games. Mm. If that makes any sense. It does. You know. It does. And and yeah, and that scene is incredible. You can feel the the, the tension, tension, the yeah. build up, <laughs> yeah. the whole it, you just literally going, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And it just builds and builds and builds. It's amazing. And and, and oh, my missus good. my missus was literally like, Someone please turn the someone please turn the water <laughs> off. <laughs> someone, please. <laughs> yeah. What have you learned that you're gonna take forward into your next film as a director? Yes. Well I think I'm really excited about, well, I think a, like really, really, I think the main thing is I know that the next movie I'm going to make, it's not going to be a genre mash. So it's going to, how it presents itself is what it's going to be. But I think I've learned that the, the period of time you take really thinking about the movie you want to make, I think you have to really, really, really think about that because, you know, in, in an edit, you really learn about, what screenwriting is and i think mm -hmm. so it's just really changed my idea about how i'm going to write this next movie and then i think the big thing is just i'm really excited about going full-blown into horror next time and i think that's just a really i'm just excited about that because i think you know i didn't really like i like horror but i didn't really realize how much i liked it until until recently Mm. you know so, yeah, so it can I think grow on you big thing really. yeah it can it can sneak up right yeah it can yeah it really can same with me yeah. 
And if there's if there's one bit of advice you could give your younger self, maybe when you were struggling to get films made or you th- thought it wasn't going to happen, um, you know, or someone else starting out, what, what that, might that be? I think maybe maybe going smaller at the beginning with the vision of what you want to do. Sort of, um, not, you can still go to extremities, right? In a in a sort of smaller context. So maybe kind of trying to, like like Ben Wheatley, you know, I think is a perfect example of that. Like like starting small but still going big with with the themes. And, and I think also just you know, I think you've got to write. If you're serious about being a screenwriter, I think you've got to, as much as you can be, you've got to write as much as possible. And so I probably, if looking back at my younger self, I, I think I probably would have just started a bit sooner and just started sort of writing, writing movies uh, a bit sooner. Even if it's not to be made. <laughs> Even if it's not to be made. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I do think there's something about the, the sort of community of, of movies and filmmakers that's just really special. Um, and so I think you just want to put yourself into that space, right? As much as possible. Um, yes. which yes. for me, is just always being at the BFI basically. Right. Right. I like that. I like that. That's one of the reasons we do yeah. this pod. You know, we get to meet filmmakers all the time and it's, it's so mm. nice. And we, then when we go to events or, um, film festivals, it's so nice to then reconnect and talk yeah. and we all share the same stories. And as like you said, it's different in the acting world a little bit. There's a little bit more, Oh, you got that job. Whereas here we're all like, no, let's all support each other. And it's, it's actually really lovely community. Absolutely. Yeah. man. It's I'm really just been amazing talking to you both. Like, thanks. Like having me on. Oh, seriously. Absolute yeah. pleasure. Uh, the Straight is out now everywhere, worldwide, on Netflix. Go watch it. Do not now. stray away from it. Nice. Watch it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. So join us on Friday when we chat with Saint Sadiq and his film Joyland. And then on Tuesday, we are back uh, with Eddie Sternberg. So look forward to that, it's gonna be brilliant. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, And go out there and make your films, make it happen. You can write your film, you can get it to the right people and work hard and it will happen. Uh, Nathaniel Martello-White, thank you so much for joining us, buddy. Yeah, thank you, real pleasure. Thank you both, thank you, thank you. Have an awesome day, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, all right. And you guys. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.